Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. Hi, and welcome back to the Plenteous Redemption podcast. Here we are with another study from the book of Haggai. I hope you have enjoyed these. I pray they have been a help and a blessing to you and whoever you have chosen to share them with. Uh, Today we're going to be looking at Haggai chapter 2, verses 14 through 19. And we're going to look at a little phrase in the book of Haggai from this day. And we're going to see what we can learn from this idea. So Haggai chapter 2, verses 14 through 19, Then answered Haggai and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer there is unclean. And now, I pray you, consider from this day and upward, from before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord, since those days were when one came to an heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. When one came to the press fat for to draw out 50 vessels out of the press, there were but 20. I smote you with blasting and with mildew and with hail and all the labors of your hands. Yet you turn not to me, saith the Lord. Consider now from this day and upward, from the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, even from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Consider it. Is the seed yet in the barn? Yea, as yet the vine, and the fig tree, and the pomegranate, and the olive tree, hath not brought forth from this day will I bless you. Three times in this passage, the Lord tells them he wants them to consider some things. And this is a staple feature of the Christian life. You find this all through the New Testament. You find it all through the Old Testament. It's amazing to me that that God puts things like this in his word. He puts things there. He literally wants you to stop and think about your actions. Think about your choices. Consider what they have produced. Look at the direction your life has taken as a result of your actions and your choices and your behavior and what you've said and how you've lived. And and all of this is encompassed in this idea Consider it. Think about it. Now, this is blasphemy today. 
You're supposed to be able to just say things today and have no consequences as long as you say things that are in line with the the liberal woke orthodoxy of the day. You're supposed to be able to just Uh, as a man, you can declare yourself to be a woman and everyone's supposed to pretend like that's okay. Like there are no consequences that come with that. Uh, Men, men are supposed to be able to do that, which is unnatural and lie with, with other men as though it, as though it were a woman. And we're supposed to be okay with that. We're not supposed to consider the consequences of such activity. People live blasphemous, contrary lives that are in direct opposition to the word of God. And we're supposed to act like we're supposed to pretend together. There are no consequences to that. And so God here is addressing his people. And that's important to remember. He's addressing his people. Uh, we, we as God's people are the ones who need to sit down and, and think through these things and consider our ways. Consider what we're doing. Consider our choices. Consider the way that we live. And then look at the end result of it. Follow it through to its end as best you can and try and determine what what the end result of this will be. It it would be better before you venture down any road in any direction. The the better thing to do would be to consult God's word and try and determine, uh, am I moving in the right direction here or not? Before you even step out, let's step out in the right direction and accord with God's word. That would be the thing to do. Uh, but but having, having lived your life to the point, uh, wherever you are now, whatever, whatever position, whatever place, whatever direction you have chosen, can you take a minute and just sit down and, and consider? Consider the choices you made. Consider the consequences. Consider the results. And rather than trying to blame other people, can you think about what you did that got you where you are? I mean, that that would be the thing to do, and, and that's what the Lord wants us to do. And so three times in this passage, the Lord tells them he wants them to consider some things. He wants them to consider from this day upward. And that is, God wants us to consider our current situation, where you are right now, and then upward into the future. Uh, we might say, you know, forward into the future. It uh, carries the same idea. Um, but the Lord doesn't want us to just press forward. And, and that idea of pressing forward is it's heavily emphasized in the book of Numbers. That idea is in the Word of God. It is good to, to have some resolve and, and to just determine that I'm going to, I'm going to push on. I'm going to press forward through opposition, through trouble, through difficulty, and, and I'm, I'm going to remain focused on God and his word. Those are good things to do. Uh, those, those are good ideas to have. But it'd be good for you to press forward. It'd be good for us to move upward in life after considering the direction that we're going. Because your, your resolve to move forward might not be forward at all. <laughs> your resolve to move upward might not be upward at all. And if you don't take some time and consider life and consider some things in light of the Word of God and consider where you are and consider your direction and, and the many, many different aspects of this, if you don't, if you don't think it through in, in a good and reasonable way, there, there's a good chance you're going to end up getting yourself in some trouble. And we want to avoid that. Uh, the Lord wants us to consider life 
in an upward fashion. Look up to God. Cast your care upon Him. Cast your considerations upon Him. The burdens of your heart upon Him. You've got, you've got difficult decisions to make. You've got, you've got complicated, you're, you're being addressed by difficult and complicated matters. What do we do? Well, we want to do what God said. We want to obey God's word. And, um, and we might need to sit down and consider whether we have done that. How, how did we get where we are? Was it through obedience to God or was it, or was it through disobedience? And, and if it was through disobedience, we want to reconcile that and, and make things right. Now, look, at, look back at verse 15, Haggai 2, verse 15. And now I pray you, Consider from this day and upward, from before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord. So the the first marker, that's a good way to think about this time that we take to consider our lives. You want to try to find markers, uh, landmarks throughout your life that you can think back to and say, okay, I I made a turn here. I I made a choice here. I made a decision here. and, And here's the outcome of it. What was it godly? Was it ungodly? Was it righteous? Was it unrighteous? Was it holy? Was it unholy? Did, did it improve my life? Did it help my family? Did it help my ministry? Did it help my church? Or did it somehow damage those things? And then you've got to take, then you've got to make a choice. Am I going to continue in that direction or am I going to change direction? And so the Lord here provides a marker for them. And the first marker for consideration is the time before a stone was laid in the temple. Now, in the context, I believe this is talking about Zerubbabel's temple, but you could take this all the way back to Solomon's temple if, the, if you were not trying to keep it in the proper, if you didn't take care to keep it in the proper context. And, and I believe as you read through the passage, it's pretty clear that the Lord is talking about Zerubbabel's temple. He's talking about their return from Babylon and, and the time he gave them to, to begin building on, uh, the, the, rebuilding the Lord's temple. And so the Lord is asking them in light, in light of the revelation of their uncleanness. So remember, in this passage, the Lord is addressing the people and he's asking them questions to help them identify the fact that they've got some uncleanness in their life that needs to be dealt with. While the Lord is with them, he's working with them, he, he's, he's working alongside them, he is stirring them, he, is, he promised that. But as we mentioned in, in previous broadcasts from the book of Haggai, that doesn't mean there are not other areas of their lives that God is not, does, does not intend to address. And, and, and we made mention of this. It's a blessing to identify the areas that we have things right and to try and, and, and remain faithful there. But we also need to look at the areas where we don't have things right. And, and there's room for every single one of us to do that. And we need to make the proper corrections. And, and the Lord would have us to do that. This is also a good, a good way to deal with other people. If, if they have things in their life that are praiseworthy, where they're doing good, they're doing well, it, it's good for us to identify those and, and to help them to recognize that. If they also have areas of their life where, where they're failing to do that which is good and godly and right, we also want to address those things. But that balance is important. You don't, you don't want to destroy the relationship because you only have the ability to, to focus on the negative. You also want to be able to focus in a healthy way on the positive. Both, both are important. And so the Lord wants them to consider their uncleanness. Uh, 
in a time when they're serving the Lord, they're building the house of God, they're being uh, ravaged by their adversaries all around them, they're under the domination of these Persian kings. I mean, it's, it's a tough time. They're moving in the right direction, but the Lord says, okay, as, as we, now that we've got this momentum moving in the right direction, we need to consider some things. It just, it seems this reflection, especially in light of eternity, <laughs> for Judah was short-lived. There's so much to think about from our current position, our current perspective, our current direction out into eternity. <laughs> That's a big thought. And the Lord is asking them, uh, he's telling them, I'm giving you this marker, okay? From the time when not a single stone was laid in the rebuilding of this temple, I I want you to consider the way you've lived. I want you to consider the results of your actions. I want you to consider the fruit of your lack of labor, not the fruit of your labor, the fruit, but but the lack thereof. And and I want you to consider what became of your life while living in disobedience to God, all right? And then having considered that, I want you to make the proper and necessary changes. And, and then we can even take it, take it back a step or two. Uh, I want you to consider what happened when you began to build the temple. What happened when you repented of your disobedience, began moving in the right direction? Your God is with you, and he's blessing you, and he's helping you, and he has strengthened you, and he's building you up in, his most holy, in the most holy faith. All right, so God wants us to consider these things, and, and it seems that Judah did so because they, they were encouraged by this. They finished the work of God. You had Haggai and Zechariah prophesying and telling them, of first it was uh, prophecies of rebuke. And then later came prophecy of what to expect in the future as a result of their obedience. But then by the time we get to the book of Matthew, how does Judah look? How does the nation of Israel look? How are things going? Not so good. And, and, you get, and so you get to the book of Matthew and, 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 and we see the Lord Jesus Christ says something here that helps us to understand this reflection was short-lived. <laughs> and, and before we read the passage, what, what we need to think about is our, the Lord expects us to live a life of self-reflect continually. You know, Peter, Peter said, I want you to even continually check to make sure that you are saved, that you, that you are in the faith. <laughs> that needs to be a consider, con, continual point of consideration. But then, as a Christian, okay, with, with that consideration in mind, now I want you to consider the, the direction of your life now that you belong to God. Are you obedient to the Word of God? Do you do, do, you do the most basic things? Do you go to church? Do you give to your church? Do you serve at your church? Do you read your Bible? Do you pray? Do you live out on a daily basis the most basic, childlike, fundamental aspects of the Christian life. And if you don't, why don't you consider what is missing in your life and, and the consequences of failing to do that? And then, and then the Lord, wants, once you get those things accomplished, the Lord, Lord will praise you and thank you and, and, and bless you for doing that. And then he wants you to step up. And, and, and now that you've gotten past some of the baby stages, like going to church, I mean, that's it doesn't get any more basic and childlike than just attending church, reading your Bible, and praying. 
and and yet those things are greatly lacking in the lives of Christians. Have having you know once you get those things under control, okay, now it's time to step up and and now that you we can get we can start to wean you off the milk and start getting you on some meat. And 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 this so this continual process is what the Lord wants us to do. And Judah just like when they came back to rebuild the temple, they started out strong, but then it then it sort of fell off, and and it seems to have uh, fallen off rather quickly and rather easily, uh, far far more simply than it should have. So so let's read what you know. We see where Judah was and what the Lord asked them to do. Now let's read and see how things went. Uh, by the time we get to the, 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 the Lord Jesus Christ on earth, we know that Israel, Judah, uh, all the Jews that the Lord's interacting with, for the most part, they're in, a, they're in a state of apostasy. But look at Matthew 24, and let's read verses 1 through 3. Now remember, the Lord says, I want you to consider from the time there was not a single stone laid in the temple. Now let's read with that in mind, Matthew 24, verses 1 through 3. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, "Uh, (laughs) Tell us when shall all these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Their pride is so is is so in line with the existence of that temple, and and the one the Lord's looking at is Herod's temple. The Jews don't even have full control over their own temple, over their land, over their lives. They're they're living in bondage to Herod and the Romans, and and they're subject to people that, that they were not supposed to be subject, subject to. They're supposed to be subject to God. And uh, it appears that consideration that, that they were stirred into in Haggai's day is long gone. And when the Lord, by the time we get to Matthew, the Lord informs them, this is your house. The last time the Lord leaves the temple, he says, behold, I leave your house desolate. It's your house. It's not God's house anymore. I don't, we don't have anything to do with it anymore. It, it, now it belongs to you. It's, it's wholly yours. And it has not, it's a den of thieves. It doesn't represent God in any way. It's Herod's temple. It's a den of thieves. It's your house. I'm done with it. And the Lord looks at, those, he looks at that temple and he tells those people, I'm going to tear down every single stone that's here. Not one stone will be left standing. So we go back to Haggai's day, and the Lord says, Before you laid a stone for the temple, I want you to consider your life. I want you to consider your ways. Okay, so then they had their temple. They got their temple. You have Zerubbabel's temple. At some point, we got Herod's temple. How how that happened, I'm I'm not 100% clear. But now you have Herod's temple. And, and they're still just as proud of that temple. They're still just as excited about having that temple because it, it allows them to pretend to love God. And the Lord says, you know, you have your temple. You have the building that, that, that I helped you to, to, to build. 
and I was with you, and I was working alongside you, and I stirred you, and now you're in total apostasy. It's not the physical building that's important. It's your inward consideration of where you are as an individual. And, and it's extremely important. So it, it's, it's a good exercise for us to consider life without God. Now, I'm not telling you to try life without God. It's a good exercise to consider your life when God wasn't there. What, consider your life without the, the, the life-changing effects that God has had in it. What was it like? Now, some of you, this is going to be difficult, more difficult for some than others. Some of you never ventured out into the world and lived deep in sin. And so you think that your Christian life is less valid because you didn't live life like a reprobate. And that's not true. You were every bit as sinful as as anyone else was, though you may not have gotten as dirty as everyone else. And so it'd be good for you to consider the the confusion and the frustration of living a, a, a legalistic life without God. And then the change that happened when you finally got a hold of trusting in Jesus Christ for the salvation of your soul. And, and, and then what, what it produced thereafter, the joy, the peace, the love, the, the understanding. Life with understanding, it's incredible. I think just that, that, that the wisdom, the knowledge, the understanding that, that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the study of God word, God's Word provides us, that alone is of infinite value, and I think we take it far too lightly. But then you have on the other side people like me. I was a complete reprobate, filthy, dirty, lived life deep in sin with no concern whatsoever for God, for Jesus Christ, or the sacrifice that He made. If you met me just a month before I got saved, you wouldn't recognize me. You wouldn't recognize my manner of speech. You wouldn't recognize the choices of places I went, the music I listened to, the people I associated with. Um, My life was radically different. And I made a lot of money. I I did very well. I I worked hard. I, I was able to to keep my life together just enough to stay out of trouble, make, make a lot of money, and, and travel around the world. And I was miserable and empty and, and just had nothing. I was alone. I, I lived overseas for large portions of my adult, adult life by myself and mostly in seclusion, uh, just alone. And I had everything. I could just, at the drop of a hat, I, I, could, I could buy a ticket and fly anywhere I wanted in the world and, and often did so and visited incredible places and saw incredible things and went back home empty. Just, just empty. There's nothing to that life. I, I was morally confused in many ways. You know, I, I, politically, I, was, I, I leaned more conservative, but I didn't know why. I had no idea what you know, that even really meant. <laughs> I don't even know how I came to that conclusion. Um, Life with understanding that only comes from God. Life with peace that only comes from Jesus Christ. Life with the Word of God written by the Holy Spirit who lives and dwells inside me. Man, that, that, that comparison is important to sit down and consider from time to time. From your perspective, from your experience. And, and I, I think it, I think it'd be a great help, help to you. 
you know, there may be times when your flesh tries to convince you that you're missing out on fun. You're missing out on something. And, and it is true that sin is pleasurable for a short season. <laughs> and it is a short season. Because when you venture down the road to carnality, it's never enough. There's never enough pleasure. You've got to go deeper. You've, you've, got, to, you've got to go further. You've got, to, you've got to defile yourself more in order to get that same response, in order to get that same pleasure. Uh, there's pleasure in sin. It is short-lived. But even worse than that, when that season comes to an end, that little short season of pleasure, you're left with the consequences of your carnality. And those consequences can be lifelong. They can be damaging. They can be painful. They can scar you emotionally. They can scar your family. For decades to come, you have to recover from a, a, a moment of pleasure, a little bit of carnality that you, you just had to have, and now you've got to, now you spend the rest of your life trying to fix it. Temporary carnal pleasure in no way compares to the joy of the Lord or peace with God or the comforter or stability or wisdom or a peaceable home, or the unsearchable riches of Christ. There's no comparison. That's just to name a very few. There, there are many, many, many. There are so many more aspects to the Christian life that we could name, that, that you could have if you would get hold of trusting God, trusting His Word, and doing what God says, living the way God says. The, the blessings are infinite. The, the value is infinite. You can't put a price on it. And so we need, to, we need to consider life before God and life after God, after you trusted in Christ. Uh, consider life with no ministry as a Christian and life deeply involved in ministry as a Christian. Consider life with no family and, and no Bible to help teach you how to, how to, how to rule that family and, and direct that family and guide that family and, and, and build that family up. And then life with all those things. I'm telling you that the comparison is, is it's a stark contrast and it's, it, it'd be healthy for us to sit back and think about those things, especially before you allow yourself to build up unmerited resentment, which seems to be another, you know, another order for the day. You're supposed to resent every aspect of your wonderful life. Imagine being an American at, at, an, at an Ivy League school and you're resentful of the life that you have. I mean, I, I have some friends here in Uganda who would trade with you. <laughs> They'd be happy to help you have a life that is worth resenting if you really wanted to. So otherwise, quit your complaining and enjoy the life God has given you. Look at Haggai chapter 2, verse 18. Consider now from this day and upward. Okay, so now we went from, from that day when there was not a stone laid in, uh, for the temple to now, I want you to consider from this day and upward, from the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, even from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. So he asked them, I want you to consider the time after the foundation of the temple was laid. Now, if you remember, we talked about, you know, Judah was in captivity. They were abiding with no temple, no way to worship the Lord their God. And without that temple, they cannot worship God, not in accord with the law of Moses. Uh, 
Jews today who claim to be Jews worshiping God, they have no clue what they're talking about. And you know, some of you might say, well, they're Jews. How do you know? Well, I have the word of God. And I have the Holy Spirit who wrote the word of God who will help to teach you that as you go through the word of God, there are requirements for the Jew, according to the law of Moses, to worship God. And a temple is a big part of that requirement. And they don't have one. And so they cannot perform the duties required of them at the temple in order for them to worship God. That is, if they're going to do it according to the word of God. What they do today is, my wife and I, we went to a, a, a Temple Israel synagogue in Daytona Beach one time. We, did, we went in, we just wanted to see what they do. We wanted to watch and, um, you know, the, these people claim to be Jews and, and we want to see what, what, what your your system of worship looks like. So we went in, it was on a Saturday, which of course they, they claim to be the Sabbath. And so um, we go inside and we sit down and uh, people start coming in. And then a woman, a female rabbi, <laughs> if you can imagine that in the Old Testament, uh, begins to lead the service. And uh, they open this book of Psalms that they have and and of course, they don't line up with the Psalms in the Bible, so I don't know where this book of Psalms came from, but we, we read through several of them, and, and uh, they claim that they came from David and, and other, other names you would recognize from your Old Testament, but um, I, I don't believe these Psalms could be found in your Old Testament in the Bible, so I, I, again, I don't know where they came from, but so we, we read through them with them. They sang some of them. They read some of them. They, you know, it just depended on the situation. And, um, and then it was time to welcome in the queen of the Sabbath, which was very interesting. Uh, everyone stood and faced the east. At, I believe it was at exactly 6 p.m. And I, I don't remember the exact time, but I, I think that was right. Uh, you know, it maybe it, there was a designated time where everyone stood Face the east. Now, me and my wife are looking, and, and, and then when they face the east in this particular building, the, the, there's a door there that is the entrance to their, their synagogue. So my wife and I are looking at the entrance like, is somebody about to walk through the door? Like, who, who's coming in? And we're trying to figure out what's going on here. As everyone stands and faces the east, and they, and they stand that way for about a minute or two and welcome in the queen of, the queen of Sabbath. It's like, are you kidding me? It's the queen of heaven. It's the book of Jeremiah all over again. These people, it, it was so, and then afterwards, you know, well, they, they gave me an opportunity. They, they handed me a microphone and asked at, at that time, fiance, now, now my wife, uh, to introduce ourselves. And I said, okay. <laughs> so I stood up and I said, my name is Thomas Irvin. This is my fiance, Kristen. We are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ who saved us and washed us in his blood after he died on the cross and was buried and rose again the third day. <laughs> and so that, that, in essence, was my introduction. And I told them that we just came to observe your manner of worship and just wanted to see what took place here. And we appreciate you giving us the time to, to come in and, and just, um, you know, just watch and see and, and, and all that. And so um, then they drink, they drink wine together for the sick. You know, so they passed around these little cups of, of alcoholic wine, and, um, and they drank that in order to help the sick. Somehow, their getting drunk helped the sick. And uh, they, they had no lack for volunteers 
to drink the extra little pieces, the little cups of wine um, that were left over. So it was very interesting. Then they invited us back for uh, for drinks and snacks after it was over, during which I was surrounded by 10 men who claimed to be Jews, and we went at it. And I, and I asked them, you know, I said, you know, you, you, you said in your book, we read in that book out there that, uh, that you, you, were, you promised your God you would go and you would proselytize, you would evangelize and tell, tell people about your God and bring them in. How do you do that? And they responded by saying, no, we don't, we don't believe in proselytizing. I said, well, well, you read in your book, you promised your God, by re- you read in the book a promise that you were going to go and do that. And, and they all looked at each other like we all didn't read the same thing. They said, well, I, I don't. Did it say that? I don't think it said that. And they're all looking at each other, scratching their heads. Like, I was like, we we all just read it. It was we. It was five minutes ago. So they had no answer for that. And I said, okay, well, well, what is God? Who is God? And they had no answer for that. And I said, okay, well, then, uh, how does your God deal with sin? And they said they don't believe in sin. I said, of course you do. And they said, no, we we don't believe in sin. We don't believe that sin needs to be dealt with. And I said, you you believe in sin? I said, right now. In Daytona Beach, some man is somewhere violating a woman. Even worse than that, right now in Daytona Beach, some man is somewhere violating a child. And you're going to tell me that that, that is not sinful? You're going to tell me that God is not angry about that? And my mind was blown at their response. The man turned to me and said, the man that commits that, that is his punishment. And I, I'm looking at him like, well... You're telling me the satisfaction of his flesh, of his, of his deviant lust, is punishment? And he says, yes. And I said, you know why you say that? Because it's not your wife, and it's not your daughter that's being violated. Or you'd have a very different attitude. And so we, we went on in this way for, for maybe about an hour where we went back and forth, and it was clear it was going nowhere. And in the end, I told them, I said, you know, I don't, I'm, not gonna, I'm not saying this disrespectfully, but you don't believe anything. This is just a country club for you to hang out at and, and go through a religious process. None of you believe anything. You, don't, you definitely don't believe in the God of the Old Testament, the God of your, your Bible. Uh, you, you don't, you've lost track of that God, and it seems like you lost track of him a long, long ago. One, one of them came up to me in, in the middle of our heated discussion, and he and he puts his hand on my shoulder. He says, listen to me. I'm a Jew from way back. I'm from Ecuador. <laughs> I was like, yes, yes, that, that long lost tribe of Jews from Ecuador. <laughs> that, that's where they are. Total apostasy. They don't believe anything. They were far removed from where they were supposed to be when the Messiah himself is standing on earth. And now today, brother, the Jews are, are a total mess. Now, God, God is going to return to his dealings with them, and many of these things will be worked out. Praise the Lord. Uh, but they need Jesus Christ. They need the word of God. They need somebody to get the gospel to them because you talk about it, a confused people. Uh, they are unbelievably confused today and, and really need God's, God's help. And so the Lord tells them, I want you to consider the time after the foundation of the temple was laid. You return back to Judah. You, you escape captivity. Uh, you are abiding with no temple, no way to worship. 
which is true of them today, exactly the same situation today. Then they are released. They return to Jerusalem, and with great zeal and excitement, they lay the foundation of the temple. They build that altar. They lay the foundation. Man, it was, it was, it was exciting. Then they stopped, and the work they began went to waste. That foundation that they laid began to waste, and the zeal was diminished. It's gone. And service to the Lord in building his house ceased. Now, they didn't cease to build their own houses, but they did cease to build God's house. And this notes the ease with, with which we can become so easily distracted if we are not careful. Now, these things are written for our learning and admonition, and it's easy to sit here and look at Judah and point out, from my perspective, their mistakes. But this is written for our learning and admonition. (laughs) That is important to keep in mind. It can happen to me. It can happen to you if we are not careful, if we don't reflect on the direction of our Christian life. We don't consider our ways and consider our direction and, and consider what we have thanks to God and consider what we had without God and, and compare the two and, and let that stand as a, as, a, as a tool of motivation of continual obedience to God. Service to the Lord can be difficult. Look, the world hates God Religion exalts a God made in their own image, a false God, and many of our own brethren have, have willing spirits, but their, their flesh is infinitely weak. So that places those who are zealous and excited to serve God in a faithful manner in a difficult spot to be in, and it can be discouraging. Here in Uganda, we, we, witness, we witness to hundreds of people per month. It may that might that might be on the on the low side of the number, hundreds of people, and we give out thousands of tracts at, at just one ministry, just one. We give out four thousand tracts per month at just one of of the ministries that we have here, and and we witness to many who seem to respond by trusting in Christ. It's exciting because people will stop and they will talk to you and then you start seeing the light bulbs go off and, and, and they trust in Jesus Christ. They make a profession of faith and it's and the conversation was just so exciting and, and you see the person as they get it and, and the lights are going off and it's clicking in their head and, and it's going so well and then we never see them again. <laughs> we give someone a tract and they come back and ask for money. It's, you know, it's, it, it, it can be so discouraging. We teach someone about baptism, and they get so excited that they go back to their Catholic priest and ask them to baptize them. <laughs> it's like, what, what happened? You understood the difference. You, through the course of our conversation, when I told you about Jesus, and, and as we went through a two-hour conversation about the gospel, and in the end... They had such great understanding. And then we never see them again. It, it's both, it's so exciting and so, ex, so discouraging at the same time. I often wonder, <laughs> what, are we, what am I doing wrong? But the reality is these people have the truth. They know the truth. 
but they don't really desire to hold that truth in righteousness. They'd rather keep it over there. They'd rather keep it at arm's length in unrighteousness until they can see that they will benefit from it in some way here and now temporally. A big problem in Africa is, is everyone wants to be, everyone wants prosperity. They don't think long term into eternity. They're thinking here and now, right this second, right now. Will God make me rich? If I, if I believe what this white man is telling me about his God, will he give me money? Now, you might not like to hear that coming from a Western mindset somewhere in the Western world, having never been to Africa. But that's a reality that, that we have to deal with here on a daily basis, on a regular basis. Uh, Africans have this, have developed this mentality of, of uh, for a, de- a desire of temporal prosperity here and now. They're not so much concerned with what God will do for them in the future, as in heaven or hell, <laughs> In eternity, that uh, they want the here and now, and and so with all this in mind, it can be discouraging because you want to be faithful to God. Sometimes you look and you say, "Why am I giving out four thousand tracks? It costs a lot of money to print those tracks. Why am I giving out four thousand tracks per month?" And you know, we we get like one or two visitors to the church, and this is what's important to keep in mind. Our responsibility is to continue sowing, is to continue teaching the Word of God, is continue to uh, is, is to continue working with those who choose to stay around and learn and grow. That's our responsibility. Our responsibility is not results. My responsibility is is to be faithful to do what God wants me to do, and God wants me to distribute God's word. God wants me to preach the gospel. God wants me to teach his word. God wants me to invest my time, my life, in people who are interested in his word. And so we're going to do that. And if it means reaching out to thousands per month and only only hearing from one or two in the end per year, (laughs) that's okay. It's it's. You know, the number of people who abandon us with great ease, it bothers me. It boggles my mind that in one moment the lights are switched on and they realize the great depth of what Christ did for them. Then a moment later, they forget all about Christ. <laughs> I, don't, I don't get that. When I, when I finally got saved, and I, I can honestly say that I did not have much of a gospel witness in my life before the, the moment when I was uh, thoroughly confronted with the gospel, sitting alone in Saudi Arabia, listening to Adrian Rogers preach on YouTube. That's how I got saved. And he preached a sermon called The Simplicity of Salvation. You, I'm sure you can still find it on YouTube or in his catalogs today. It's, it's worth listening to, especially if you're lost. I was confronted with the gospel. I trusted in Jesus Christ I immediately changed in many ways. I had this uh, this relentless desire to go to church. I had never wanted to go to church. They had to make me go to church, and it was rare that I ever went to church. Uh, if life got hard and I was getting in trouble, then I might want to go for a Sunday or two. Uh, otherwise, it had been years since I had been in church. Then I get saved. 
and the alcohol gets poured down the drain and anything else in my life that didn't need to be there, I just systematically start removing it. If I couldn't reconcile the, the presence of Jesus Christ in my life and this activity or this drink or this language or whatever, or this behavior, whatever it might be, I just began to remove it. And, and the, the Lord greatly helped me. I don't understand the end of a conversation with someone and I see that type of, of excitement light up in their face. And then there's no change whatsoever. We never hear from them again. Try to follow up with them, try to call them, try to, try to get them started in discipleship, and, and nothing happens. <laughs> so the results are not my responsibility. The labor of plowing, sowing, watering, these are my responsibility. And I love to do that for the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that I get to take part in that aspect of ministry, I get to be involved in those things. Praise God. And I'm going to keep doing it as long as the Lord will allow me and the Lord will let me. God will give the increase. I am 100% confident of that. You know, it's it's just the, the reason it seems harder to some respect here is because it's so easy to engage people here. And there seems to be more interest here. But the reality is the end result is not much different from what you would see in the West where hearts are much harder and people are far, far more difficult to engage. We just have a whole different set of problems here. It's, it's, a, it's a different perspective of, of maybe even some of the same problems. So the positive is that we have some who have stayed with us in truth and they are showing themselves to be faithful young men and women. Praise God. And as long as they'll stay and let, let us invest in them and, and teach them and build them up, man, we are, we, are, we are going to do so. And we thank God for them. I'm grieved over the people who, who made professions of faith but did not follow through. But I'm excited about the people who did. And thank God for them. All right, let's look at Haggai 2, verse 19. Is the seed yet in the barn? Yea, is yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree hath not brought forth from this day will I bless you. After considering Judah's attitude regarding the Lord previously, their unsustained zeal, their indifference, and now and now with those realities in view, the Lord informs them, I will bless you. What a God. This is the positive side of considering your ways. The point of such an exercise is not to simply bring you low, but to effectively build you up. That's that's the goal here. We want to move in the right direction. We want to build upward. And in order to do that, we need to consider, am am I on a good foundation here? Okay, now that we've got the foundation built, let's put up the walls. Okay, are the walls built properly? Are they built right? Are they built in accord with God's word? Okay, let's move to the roof. Let's, you know, you, you, it's just the point is not to tear you down and, and make you feel bad about your past life, but, but rather to show you the blessing that comes from abandoning your past life and moving into to life eternal with Jesus Christ. That's the point of, of, of this exercise of considering your ways. God does not want us in a perpetual state of depression in light of the reality that we are failures. (laughs) 
We're undependable. We're, we're, he knoweth our frame. The idea is not to, to plunge you into depression, but rather he wants, he wants us to recognize what we are and then see in him the help, the refuge, and the encouragement we need to move in a godly direction. The, the, the idea is to recognize your hopeless situation and then, and then run to where your help is, and that's in the Word of God, and that's through Jesus Christ. Preaching, okay, though it, though it can be pointed and direct, it does not simply serve to break people down. That's part of the process. That breaking down needs to happen, but we don't break people down and leave them there. That's, that's not part of the plan. And, and I, I understand that some men might be better at the breaking down than, than the building up, and some might put more of an emphasis on building up but never breaking down, but that's an imbalance that we all, as missionaries, as pastors, as preachers, as teachers, as Sunday school teachers, whatever the case may be, we need to provide that balance. That you, you, you can't build up something that hasn't been broken down. They're, they're, they need to see a reason for the building process. And, and so we need to break them down. But at the same time, you can't break them down and then just leave them down. You've got to build them up in the, in the admonition of the Lord. And so we, that's, that's our intention. Um, and, and that's what we want to do. Despite our failures, the Lord blesses us. Despite our disobedience, the Lord promises us blessing as soon as we get things right. <laughs> He's just standing there waiting. Yes, you're, you're being disobedient right now, and, and I'm going to have to chasten you, but as soon as you repent, man, I'm going to bless you. Who does that but God? Who approaches life that way but our God? Praise the Lord for him. Uh, despite our failure in one area of life, the, the Lord praises the areas where we have things right. These moments of personal and self-reflection are essential in the Christian life. It, it, they're, they're very, very important. There are other places, all through your New Testament, you're told to judge yourself. You're told to, to reflect on yourself, to consider yourself. To, um, I mean, it's, it's important for your advancement, for your improvement, for your moving in the right direction to take some time and consider your ways. And, and doing so requires honesty and, and integrity alongside the Word of God as a clear looking glass for each of us. All right, now, as we wrap this up, when we fail to exercise moments of reflection in this way, we miss both the blessings and the consequences of our actions in life. Uh, look at Haggai 2, verse 16. Since those days were, when one came to an heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the press fat for to draw out 50 vessels out of the press, there were but 20. So, in, in this day, before a stone was laid in the temple, one could come to a heap of 20 measures, fully expecting there to be 20, and there were only 10. Uh, likewise, one would come to the press fat, and they would expect there to be 50 vessels, but there would only be 20. Why? As God's people, when we live in disobedience to the Lord, we fail to live life to its fullest. You fail to receive God's full blessing. In fact, God might work against you to chasten you and to help break you down so that he can then build you back up. Uh, great blessing and joy come from our continual effort to live more in line with God's word. 
when you, when you think you're going to take a shortcut outside the Word of God in disobedience, it's not a shortcut. You're going to end up making life more difficult than it needs to be. Um, we greatly lack each day we spend in disobedience to the Word of God. There needs to be a continual effort of obedience, and every day we live in disobedience, we're only hurting ourselves. Now, what makes this process of disobedience so brutal is that these consequences are the result of our own personal choices. It's clear the Lord is causing this lack to to exist in Judah's life, but he does so as a form of judgment to their disobedience. All right, so God says, I'm working against you because I'm judging you. And I'm judging you because you've been disobedient. And I'd like you to to become obedient so that we can fix this. Um, That judgment can be mitigated through our obedience to God's word. It was mitigated in Judah's life through their obedience to God's word. And so uh, when we remain in a place of disobedience, we're only hurting ourselves. We're hurting our relationship with the Lord. We're hurting the blessing that could come. Look at Haggai 2 verse 17. I smote you with blasting and with mildew and with hail and all the labors of your hands, yet you turned not to me, saith the Lord. So the Lord informs them who made these things to work out this way. The Lord smote them. He is asking them to consider the results of doing things their own way and now consider doing things the Lord's way. Your way doesn't work. Your way is not helpful. God's way is right. Somehow we have come to have no concept of judgment or the consequences of obedience versus disobedience. That got lost in the mix. We think that because God is gracious and because God is love that he's not going to judge you. And that's, a, that's, a, that's an improper thought. It's almost as though the Lord never said, be not deceived. For God is not mocked. And uh, he said that, and he meant it. So let us be found living lives of increased obedience daily, not lives of open rebellion against God. Let's do that together. Thank you for listening, and God bless. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption podcast.